0: Welcome to the weekly Investor Insights call. Throughout the call, all participants will be in listen-only mode. And just to remind you, the conference is being recorded. Today, I am pleased to present Claire Walsh and Keith Wade.
1: Speakers, please begin. Thank you, operator. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Claire Walsh. I joined the communications team last year. Um, Prior to that, I was a financial advisor within the Benchmark Capital Group. My role at Shoulders is predominantly to go on consumer-facing media, focusing on explaining personal finance. I'm going to take a slightly different tack with this call. Having spoken to some of the distribution team to find out what you'd like to hear, I was told that you wanted simple messages that you could use to communicate easily with your clients. I'm joined today by our Chief Economist, Keith Wade. Hi. Hello, Keith. Um, So since Christmas, we've seen an upturn in global equity markets, and some people were probably hoping that this was a positive sign. However, the World Economic Forum kicked off in Davos yesterday, and the International Monetary Fund have reduced their projections for global growth, and we've seen a little bit of a pullback in stock markets as a result, with Asian and European markets both reducing um, from year-to-date highs. Keith The IMS cited various factors influencing their downgrading, including the ongoing US-China trade war, slowing economic data from Europe, and even Brexit. What aspects do you think are having the biggest impact on global growth at the moment?
0: Right, well, um, yes, so in announcing that downgrade, they, they cited a whole host of factors. And I would say out of those that you mentioned the most important, I think, is still the uh, the China-U.S. trade wars. Um, and there's really two effects that are being picked up here. First of all, there's the... More direct effect on trade, the one that you would expect. You know, if you put tariffs on goods, you are going to see slower demand for those mm-hmm. goods, and so import and export growth is slowing down. And we're certainly seeing that coming through in some of the data. The China data that we had recently was very weak on both imports and exports, was kind of concerned. And we will get more data actually this week on on volumes of global trade, which will be interesting to see. But we think that's pretty pretty sure that that's going to remain quite weak, and most of the business surveys as well still tell us that export orders are quite weak. So, you know, that's certainly a big part of it. But the other part of it that probably has been less anticipated is really the effect of uncertainty on the willingness of businesses to commit themselves to investments and spending. And that has been reflected in the weakness of capital spending. So somewhat surprisingly, at the end of last year, we saw a bit of a downturn in the CapEx orders numbers um, coming up. So, so businesses were kind of putting things on hold. And even in uh, Japan, which has held up reasonably well, the Tankan survey was a little bit more pessimistic than perhaps we'd expected, uh, and I think that is reflecting some of these concerns about the uncertainty of what are the future uh, trade arrangements going to be, um, and you know should I invest in the plant supplying China with particular parts or what have you, when it's possible that those the end user of those products, which is usually in America, you know, maybe like slowing down its demand. And so we need to just wait a little bit longer. So it's a little bit like the same effect we've seen on the UK economy over the last couple of years, the sort of Brexit effect that has delayed capital spending. It doesn't mean that companies have started slashing expenditure, but they just sort of sat on their hands and say, well, look, we need some clarity, we need some certainty. And I think this has been the effect that's probably uh, weighing on activity the most at the moment. Um, You know, there are concerns about the the strength of the world economy. And, you know, I've talked before about how the world economy has been helped out quite a lot by fiscal policy over the last year or so. And that's something that we're worried about in the future because that's going to fade. But certainly in the near term, I think it's the trade wars that are probably having the biggest effect.
1: So the trade war is impacting on capital spending in emerging markets. In China and also
0: in Europe, I think everywhere. Yeah, everywhere, because everybody you know who's part of that supply chain. I mean, clearly the U.S. US is affected, but and China, but also when you look at that supply chain, you know Taiwan, Korea, Malaysia, Singapore. Those are all countries that have very um, important supply links into uh, into the China export machine. So emerging markets do do get quite affected, particularly the Asian emerging markets, as a result of this.
1: And you've said previously that you were hopeful that um, China might uh, provide some sort of fiscal stimulus, which mm. um, do you still think this is likely now? I,
0: I think it's still possible. It hasn't really come through yet. I mean, all they, they they made an announcement um, before uh, the end of the year. They were cutting some of the taxes on uh, personal income. Um, they could still take other measures. They have discussed this. But I think what they're doing at the moment is that they're holding back because they want to see how the trade talks develop. So they're kind of keeping it as a card that they can play if things don't go very well, that they can then say, right, okay, this is obviously going to hit our economy more. Here's some extra fiscal stimulus to support it. So you yeah, know, they, they, they recognize that the economy is slowing down. And I mean, it's interesting that uh, our emerging market economist, Craig Botham, has just updated his uh activity indicator for china which we find is a much more useful way of tracking the economy than gdp and that indicator has continued to slow down at the beginning of the year so clearly you know there's still a loss of momentum in the chinese economy but i think they want to hold back they don't want to go in with a big big fiscal support package now uh
1: when you know there's
0: a possibility they might be able to do some sort of deal the other thing they're doing of course is they're using interest rates and they're cutting interest rates as well to try and stimulate. Uh, the economy, uh, the reserve requirement ratio and so on. So they're using monetary policy a little bit. I I don't think at the end of the day they will go for a huge package because, of course, they recognize that the level of debt in China is too high and that ultimately this is like a sort of a short-run sugar fix, you know, it will get you through a difficult period but it isn't the long-run solution because very often the stimulus comes through the banking sector. The state-owned banks are told to go out and lend and fund projects. But of course, you know, if those projects don't deliver the return or if they turn bad, then that just adds to the non-performing loan problem in the economy, which is really something they're trying to address.
1: Well, China had such rapid growth for so many years. And, um, you know, I've heard before it said previously that this couldn't continue forever. So, with Mm, respect to the trade wars, there was going to be a slowdown there anyway, wasn't there?
0: Well, that's right. But I think we have to remember that, you know, the the Chinese government has said that it would double um, incomes by 2020. So they need to keep growth going at about 6% mm. to, to hit that. Mm. So I think that's kind of the, the the thing that they've got in mind. And they only have to keep it going for another year or so, and they can they can do that. So, yeah, but certainly, you know, those days of double-digit growth, you know, are, are behind us. And structurally as well, um, you know, something we wrote about when we did our, Inescapable truths. You know the demographics in China are not very favourable. You know the working population is beginning to slow very sharply. So you're requiring, you know, much more to come from productivity in in getting the growth going. And in order to have the productivity, you need to have, you know, good investment. You can't just throw money at industries that aren't making. Any return, and I think in a way, this sort of partly ties in with with something that I'm feeling a bit more optimistic in relation to the trade talks in that you know in intellectual property. Has become, you know, the big issue in the trade talks. But it's something that actually is in China's interest as well, because if they can create an, uh, a legal framework that protects intellectual property, that might create more investment in the growth areas of the economy, because people will be more willing to do that, knowing that their, you know, their ideas and their innovations are actually going to be allowed to go forward without being stolen elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So this is obviously a big problem for American companies and anybody investing in China. But it's also a problem for domestic, you know, technology companies and, and companies at the forefront. Front of innovation who are in China and also want to see that growth come through so there is a shared interest there but that that's a, a long run mm.
1: yeah China's been trying to uh, develop much more of its own sort of proprietary technology and, and, and expertise hasn't it? And like yeah see yeah. I guess long term yeah. that this is where they'll get more value rather than just being um, yes. the world's manufacturing hub um, so, changing, uh, looking, thinking about the US, you've, um, I know you've changed your view on US interest rates recently. Um, talk me through that and why that's so important.
0: Well, that is important. So, we, we've actually reduced our US rate forecast. I mean, we only had two rate rises this year, and we've had that had that forecast in for some time. And you know, for a lot of time, we were defending being very dovish. Uh, now, the market has swung all the way around and is not expecting any rate rises at all. We still think there's a chance of one more rate rise. We we think the economy is going to be relatively soft in the first quarter, um, reflecting some of those trade concerns that we were talking about earlier, um, but also factors like the government shutdown, which is going to be weighing on growth unless it gets resolved fairly soon. Um, and often there are seasonal factors that mean that the U.S. is weak in Q1. But we've all, in our forecast, we've been looking for a bit of a bounce back in Q2, and we thought that actually what they'll do is they'll pause now in March. So we've taken out that rate rise. And they'll raise rates in June. But that will be it. That will be the peak in interest rates. And this is really trying to build in the kind of comments that we've had from Jerome Powell and other members of the Fed, but particularly Jerome Powell, who's indicated that now they're much more data dependent. They've kind of moved away from being on autopilot, raising rates 25 basis points every quarter. They're now being much more responsive to the data. And and that's made us change our our view. And, And that is important for the market because... You know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that the Fed put has come back, but it does mean that actually, if the data really is much weaker than people anticipate, then, then we know that the Fed will respond to that. Mm. So that I think has really been encouraging, and I think that's been an important factor behind behind the better markets that we've seen this year with the, with the rally in risk assets.
1: Mm a little bit more expertise being applied there mm.
0: um
1: so you're thinking i think you said 2.75 percent sort of june is where you see it see it heading to
0: yeah i think that would be the that would prove to be the peak and i think that's you know that's a that's a lower peak than we've seen in previous mm. cycles but i think again that is consistent with the kind of world that we're in where we do believe that trend rate of growth has come down uh, in the US. So it's not as strong as it was before. Um, you know, part of that reflects demographics. Part of it reflects the fact that the banking system now is operating in a very different way. It's not lending as aggressively mm. as it did before the crisis. So it's
1: more regulated.
0: So you can't just look at debt as a source of growth anymore. Um, and and that just means that the underlying growth rate is weaker. The other point I would make, actually, and this is probably worth just bringing out, actually, um, you know, for most of last year, we were, warning about inflation and the concerns about inflation picking up. And that was one of the reasons why we felt the Fed would keep raising rates. But this year, there have been some signs of inflation leveling out a little bit. I still think there can be some upward pressure on inflation, but I have to say that the infl- recent inflation performance has been quite good. And that, I think, has helped Jerome Powell in being able to say to the market, look, I can, I can pause a bit now because it's given him a little bit of breathing space. So, you know, he's not going to have to say, well, actually, I'm sorry, I've got to keep raising rates because I've got an inflation problem. That's not the case. Inflation has been reasonably well behaved, may push up a little bit more, but it's not something that's going to have to cause a recession to bring under control.
1: Mm. I think there was concerns about inflation going up in the UK and Europe as well last year, but Mm. that all Mm. seems to have been sort of levelling out. And um, we've seen uh, industrial activity declining in Europe too, and we touched on the sort of global interlinking with the the trade wars. Is there anything else that's sort of affecting Europe at the moment?
0: Well, Europe has been a difficult one to follow because it has been surprisingly weak. And part of that seems to be related to what's been going on in the auto sector with the new emission standards. And that that had caused a pause in demand, which is now beginning to bounce back. So that is clearly part of the story. But, you know, our our broader concern is that we do, if you look at the purchasing managers' indices, we, we do see a fairly broad base slowdown going on. Across different countries it's primarily concentrated in manufacturing and trade it's reflecting a lot of the concerns that we talked about earlier but I think what it really highlights is that Europe doesn't have a very strong domestic engine it does rely very much on global growth to keep it going Um, and and unfortunately that in this environment where global growth has been slowing the whole European economy has been slowing down
1: as a result
0: now we We recognize that some of these factors may prove to be temporary and that we could begin to see some sort of recovery coming through. You know, we are seeing a bit of wage growth, employment growth. There's a bit of credit growth going on in Europe. It's not as though the economy is heading into recession, but it it, it really has borne the brunt, I think, of the global slowdown.
1: And what about Brexit? Obviously, we've touched on the fact that um, the UK economy sort of lagged a little bit over the past couple of years. But how much does Brexit affect Europe, do you think?
0: Well, uh, Europe is being affected by Brexit because, of course, the UK market is an important market for the Eurozone to export into. And certainly, it's a point, as Zangana, our European economist, has highlighted several times, that the, you know, the weakness of exports to the UK has been one of the reasons why. Why Europe has, has has been affected? I mean, I guess there's also that capex effect that I talked about in relation to the US China You know companies are just holding back a bit. They think well We only got to wait till the end of March and then we'll know There may have been some effect into on interrelated on the euro as well through the brexit effect I guess that you know, it, it hasn't really helped. I mean, I suppose longer term You know the UK leaving the EU does raise more Sort of existentialist questions about the European Union. Um, I don't and just think
1: the future of that structure for the other com- countries. About Italy yeah. and um, Greece and sort of different issues. Mm. Uh,
0: uh, absolutely, and I, I think there are some big issues going on in in Europe, particularly with the ECB beginning to normalise interest rates this year. Uh, and policy tightening, and one of the points that we made in our recent viewpoint about Europe was that, you know, the environment for some of the peripheral economies could get much much more difficult, because, you know, they've had this wonderful tailwind of very, very low interest rates um, for several years now, and that's coming to an end, particularly mm. in places like Italy. So, uh, you know, that that is something to, to bear in mind for Europe, um, and, you know, generally in terms of investment, we've been underweight European equities for some time, and that proven to be
1: right. Just coming back to Brexit, obviously hot topic of mm. today always. Um mm. um you know at this point, um we sort of mentioned about, you know, people are not committing to expenditure, whether that's on an individual basis or also companies not investing. But at this point, irrespective of, of which path we go down, it's gonna take a long time for, for things to bed in. Do you think do you think we're gonna see we're gonna see much expenditure for, for, for the coming year in the UK?
0: well if we can get some sort of deals done um it, it, then our forecast is that we do actually get an upturn mm-hmm. in the uk economy uh that the investment that's been delayed will come through um and companies will will spend i mean yes there will be an adjustment say for trading relationships and so on but if we stay in the customs union then that means that you know we'll still have tariff free trade there will be issues around single market regulation and so on. Uh, My guess is that the UK will probably have to follow Europe and and keep our regulations pretty much in line with it because it's the bigger market. Um, But but that would actually be a reasonably positive outcome. And I think then we'd probably see a situation where the Bank of England would probably be raising rates. Uh, We have a couple of rate rises in later on this year on that basis. And the pound could also strengthen. But of course, at the moment, that is looking rather... Uncertain, I mean, it's still our central view, but the fact is that um, no deal is still quite a high probability. Mm. You know, I mean, it's still something like 40% probability that could come out here because we, to get the agreement of Parliament or to get the EU to agree what Parliament wants,
1: it's, we're still
0: quite a long way apart on that. Now, I think we have to remember that the, these things are always done at the last minute. We've said this for a long time. <laughs> That the eu always waits to the last minute it's almost as if like who's going to blink first yeah. and both sides will sit to one side and then some concessions will be made and it doesn't seem to me that it's that impossible maybe to make some concessions on the irish backstop um you know to get some sort of deal to to be done because that seems to be the main sticking point but if we have no deal then the outlook unfortunately for the economy is very weak i mean even from just a simple logistics process you know, we would we would have to see tariffs and processes go in place at customs and immigration that would would, would delay things um, and make make life pretty difficult. And I think we could well see a recession. It would also be the point at which companies would say, well, we really now need to reappraise our investments. And, you know, whilst we now know what's going to happen, but if the U- UK is going to be outside the customs union, then, you know, if you think about, say, the Japanese car manufacturers who made it very clear that they're here in the UK because they want it as a platform for the EU, then they may say, well, actually, we're not going to do any more investment and we're going to move more and more of our marginal production to to Europe. Then, you know, that will, will prove to be a drag on, on the UK economy going forward. Um, I would add that the pound is very competitive, and in that environment the pound would probably fall further and become even cheaper. And that, it would make people hesitate from moving out of the UK.
1: Yeah, because then I think um, we've had um, various people, I know Sue said this, you know, British businesses are, are, are cheap at the moment. And, um, you know, if things continue to go, everything's good value at the right price. Yes, so, yeah. yeah, it is.
0: And I think this is the thing where we need to remember, there is a price on, on everything. And I mean, you, you you know, we worry about, oh, there's going to be a 10% tariff on cars coming into the UK. But, you know, the, the pound has fallen by more than 10%, mm. and it might fall another 10%. it would create a real headache though for the Bank of England because they would then see another wave of inflation coming through from the fall in the pound but i don 't think they would be they would raise rates to counter it. they would do what they did before and they would cut rates again to stimulate the economy but you know it 's not a very good outcome really yeah. to to be facing um,
1: but to come back to sort of your your original point, I think you are still hopeful that um that a deal will be reached, and um like yeah. you said, sometimes these things go to the wire. Um, uh,
0: absolutely, yeah, they do. It'd be a last-minute
1: deal. Yeah. yeah. And um, so to, to to try and bring us back to a more a uh, positive note, where where mm-hmm. do you see opportunities at the moment?
0: Well, I think I mean you know, people are saying, oh, you know, you sound very gloomy about the world, and I mean it's probably the nature of economists we're always looking on the downside. But I mean, I, I would make the point, which, which again, you know, we stressed in our in our viewpoint that. You know, markets have discounted quite a lot of bad news. I mean, it, it, it's almost the case that markets were discounting a recession at the end of the year. They've come back a little bit, and I think that's a bit too early. I mean, I'm forecasting a gradual slowdown. I think things will get more difficult, more out in 2020. But for the immediate uh, focus, I don't think you know companies are in a position where they need to slash... Expenditure. I mean, the fact is that because they've been delaying investments and stuff, they've been building up their cash balances and their cash flows are quite strong. So I don't see an immediate recession. Markets have derated. And one comparison that we've been making is that, you know, this time last year, when people were much more optimistic, we had synchronized global recovery. People were raising their forecasts for growth and so on. But the markets were on quite a high rating. Mm-hmm. This year, there's a lot of gloom around and markets have, have, have gone on a, on a cheaper rating on P.E. So, we are looking for opportunities. We've been, um, you know, from the asset allocation perspective, increasing exposure to emerging market assets, so emerging market uh, debt, emerging market equities are both featured in that. We've been looking tactically at things like US small cap, which have underperformed enormously. You know, just trying to pick up those areas that we think have probably gone a little bit too far. So there are opportunities. In, in this environment we've still got to be quite cautious we are waiting for more signs of a turnaround we're watching the q4 earnings season very very closely i think there's probably some more bad news to come through on that but you know keep we keep looking at those indicators and looking for a turning point i think we're going into a more difficult phase of the cycle anyway so we're not going to be going you know outright overweight on on overall equities at this particular point but you know within that there are areas that have underperformed sometime that are beginning to look attractive
1: so some opportunities to be had in um, sort of, you know, touched on, and I think Joanna said, but mentioned that last week as well, emerging market debt. Yes. And um, um, and obviously, again, I think a lot hinges on what happens with the uh, the trade the trade war between uh, China and the US.
0: It does, and I think we, you know, also what I was saying earlier about the Fed the Fed being more responsive has, has given people a lot more confidence in risk assets. But you are, you know, you're looking at some very attractive yields now in some of the emerging market areas. And those currencies, on the local currency basis, those currencies are sold off a long way. So this is often the time when, you know, everybody's come out of those markets, when it wouldn't take a lot of reasonable news just to to provide some support. Okay.
1: Thank you very much, Keith. Thank Uh, Thank you to everybody listening. This now concludes the conference. Thank you all very much for attending. You may now disconnect your lines.